please stand for the reading of the word. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor the sinner in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Please have a seat. Good morning. One quick announcement for you adults. Uh, We want to offer a baptism class this summer. And so if you are interested in learning more about baptism, if you're interested in being baptized yourself, uh, we want to offer that. And out in the patio, we've got the info table, and there's a sign-up sheet out there. You might not be interested now, but once you go outside and see these kids plus Justin get baptized, uh, you may be excited and more interested after that. So I want to encourage you, if if you have not been baptized and you want to just learn more about it, we're going to have a class. We're going to see who can come, and we'll figure out the scheduling later. We'll probably do a baptism for that class at the end of the summer, maybe early fall. It's a four-week uh, discussion, so I want to invite you to consider that. Well, this summer, we're going through this series on how we cultivate a deep inner life with our God. How do we cultivate a relationship with God that is daily and that is rich and meaningful and personal. What does that look like? The image I've been giving you is the image of a cup that is overflowing. The idea being our life is like a cup, and all day long, all week long, we're pouring out our cup into the responsibilities of work, family, friendship, the grind, all all the things that demand our attention and our energy and our focus. And so what we need to do is constantly go back to God to go back to this fountain of his grace and his truth and his goodness, to be filled up by him so that we can live our lives out of overflow, not pouring out from a place of emptiness and neediness, but pouring out from a place of fullness, of giving what we have received from God. I wanted to read a quote to you uh, where an ancient author, this is written about a thousand years ago, uh, uses kind of this metaphor, but he compares our lives to a reservoir Being like reservoirs versus being like canals. Let me read this to you. If you are wise, you will show yourself to be a reservoir and not a canal. For a canal pours out as fast as it takes in. But a reservoir waits till it is full before it overflows. And so communicates its surplus. We have far too few reservoirs in the church at present. Though we have plenty of canals. They, canals, they desire to pour out when they themselves are not yet imported, They are readier to speak than to listen, eager to teach that which they do not know, and most anxious to exercise authority on others, although they have not learned to rule themselves. So, be a reservoir. First, be filled yourself, and then pour out your fullness. I like that. And we're talking about what does it mean to be filled 
uh, in this relationship with God so that we can pour out of our fullness. And my, my own sense is we live in this culture where productivity and achievement and busyness is all the rage, right? It's, it's what you do. And my sense is we don't need more busy people out there. We don't need more hurried people, more people bent on achievement and accomplishment. We actually need more deep people out there. People who encounter God regularly and out of the depth and fullness of that relationship are able to love and serve and minister and do the work they do every day. So this summer, we're asking the question, what are the practices What are the rhythms, the word I used last week, what are the liturgies that we can engage in on a daily basis that help fill us up with God and his truth and his grace and his goodness? And this morning, we're going to look at the first of those, the one that I would consider the most foundational of all Christian disciplines, the reading of God's word. That we be people who regularly go to his word for truth, for refreshment, for guidance, for instruction, and we're going to spend a couple weeks looking at God's word and what it means to develop a, a habit of reading his word. And in the next two weeks, we'll get really practical, we'll get real specific. What, what do we actually do when we, when we read this? When do we do it? What should this look like? Today, I want to keep the conversation high level, talk big picture about what it means to be people of the word. And so I'm starting with uh, Psalm 1. A familiar song to many of you, I would think. This obviously kicks off the Psalms, and I think it really sets the tone for the rest of the Psalms. The psalmist here, he outlines two ways of life, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked, and he paints, I would say, a very black and white picture, right? Righteous versus wicked, and we all know that life is actually not quite that black and white. It's not quite that simple that that righteousness and wickedness runs through each one of us, And the psalmist knows that too. But sometimes it's good to paint in broad brushstrokes to just clarify, here's the big issues. Here's the big decisions we make in life. And really the issue in Psalm 1 is this. Who is the company that you keep in life? Who is the company you keep? And what impact does that company have on you? And so in verse 1, take a look. The psalmist encourages us not to keep company with the wicked. (laughs) Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Some scholars suggest he's outlining this, this progressive commitment to a wicked way of life. First you're walking with them and then you actually, you stand and you're, you know, staying in that place and finally you're seated firmly entrenched in the ways of the wicked. But instead... We are to keep company with whom? What's that? The Lord. Specifically in this passage, verse 2, the law of the Lord. Blessed is the one who does not keep company with the wicked, but keeps company with the word of God. Verse 2, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. And so today we're going to talk about what does it mean to keep company with the Word of God? I have two questions I want to ask today. First, what is our relationship with the Word of God to be? And then what is the impact that the Word of God 
is to have on our lives, right? What is our relationship with the word of God to be? And what is the impact that it is to have on our lives? Now, first, I want to talk about, for a second, the word of God itself. Look at verse 2. The word used here is, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. That word law, and you see it again at the end, and who meditates on his law, okay? The Hebrew word behind that is the word Torah. Most of you have heard that word before. Whose delight is in the Torah of the Lord and who meditates on his Torah day and night. And that word in the broadest sense, Torah, means instruction. It means teaching. The Torah of God is his instruction, his teaching. Our English word law feels a little more specific. That most of us carries like that means commandments and rules. Torah includes commandments and rules, but it's much broader than that. It's really God's instruction on life. Yes, his commandments on how to live, but also his testimony to who he is, who we are as human beings, how we are to live. Really, his Torah is is the word of God now that we have presented in what we call our Bible today. And I was thinking of passages that talk about the word of God this week. One of my favorite passages, one that many of you will be familiar with, is 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The key phrase here is God-breathed. Let me put a picture of scripture there. The idea is God's Torah, his word, was something that he breathed out, that his, his breath breathed out what we now have as his word. Of course, he did that through very human authors who had very different personalities with different purposes and the different writings that they wrote. But God inspired that whole process through his Holy Spirit so that we can say what we have here was breathed out by God, is the very words of the creator God to his people. Now, obviously, that idea has fallen on hard times in the last few centuries in the church, but that is certainly the witness that scripture gives of itself. That is certainly the witness that Jesus Christ in the gospels gives of the scriptures that he had in his day. The words of scripture are the very words of God. They are breathed out by him. And I was thinking this week about just that idea, God's Torah, breathed out. I was thinking, what, what other things have been breathed out by God? And I was thinking, you know, in the beginning, creation itself was breathed out by God, right? In the beginning, God spoke. And what did he speak? He spoke reality into existence. Let there be light, right? Let there be a separation, between land and sea, he spoke in the beginning reality. The creator, through his mouth, spoke reality into existence. And then, in the course of time, through his Torah, he spoke the truth about reality. The truth about who we are as human beings, what reality is all about, how human beings will thrive, how they will not thrive, who the creator is, what his plans are, what his promises are, what his concerns are, so that what he breathed out in reality and what he breathes out in his Torah are in perfect alignment with each other. And that's what you'd expect, right? The creator who created reality speaks the truth into this book, which is a perfect depiction of what reality is is. 
And so we read together this morning Psalm 19, right, that responsive reading. And what that psalm is doing is the first half of it is talking about God's glory and his creation, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. God has revealed his glory in creation. And then it makes a shift to how God's glory is seen not just in his creation but in his Torah. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are, are right, right, giving joy to the heart. You would expect there to be perfect alignment between reality as it is and what is described and articulated here in this book. And this is, for some of us, this is old hat, but it's really important to remember, like, this is truth with a capital T. This is God breathed. This is from the creator who created everything we see. He has given testimony to himself and to how reality works in this book, in his Torah. And if that is true, what an absolute gem this is for human beings. I mean, is there anything more valuable in the world than to have the creator God speaking truth about reality to his creatures? There's, there's, I can't think of anything more valuable than this. And so I just wanted to remind us of that simple truth. And now I want to ask these questions. First, if that's true, what is our relationship with God's Torah supposed to be like? And then secondly, what is the impact that his Torah will have on our lives? So first, let's think about what is the relationship with God's Torah supposed to be? And I want you to, even today as I say things, consider your own life. Consider, what is my relationship with this thing I now call the Bible? What, what is it like for me? And let's hold our lives and let's hold Psalm 1 and just sit with these and see how, how do these relate to one another. So verse 2 gives us what this relationship is to be about. And the psalmist uses two words that I love both of them. The first word you see at the beginning of verse 2, but whose, what's the word? Delight is in the Torah. Of the, of the Lord. I love that word, delight. It's not what I actually was expecting when I read it. I was thinking, blessed is one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, right? But, but whose responsibility is towards God's law, whose obligation, whose duty is to the law of the Lord, but that's not what he says. No, no, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who enjoys God's Torah, who finds joy, who finds pleasure in God's Torah. And really, if, if what I just said a second ago is true, isn't that what we would expect? To say, God, the creator God has spoken to me through this. Yes, this is going to be a source of joy and delight. This teaches me how to thrive. This teaches me who I am, how to live my life. What a delight, what a joy to have that resource available to me. Now, that's not to say everything in this book is sweet and easy to take at times. In fact, there's many truths that are hard, right? This book's gonna slap us in the face a bunch of times, give us a stiff kick in the pants from time to time. But it's the overall experience is whether it's hard or not, this is reality, this is true. And as such, it is a delight to me. And so we wanna ask ourselves, is that my experience of this book? Do I, do I delight in this. 
And then there's another word. I love this word too, verse two. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And here's the second one. And who meditates on his law day and night. That word meditates. And that word meditate means to ponder, to give careful thought and consideration to something. Uh, the, the root word, the Hebrew word, comes from word which means to murmur or to mumble, okay? So the image is of somebody murmuring or mumbling quietly to themselves as if they're trying to uh, process something and think it through. So we all have had this experience. Picture yourself back in high school, right? And you're sitting in your desk, you're about to have a test, and you're looking over the person on the left, and what they're doing is they're meditating, they're going... Right? They're, they're, they're remembering the list that they've memorized. They're, they're saying it to themselves really quietly. They're trying to take it in. They're trying to ingest it and, and internalize it so they can, they can use it for the test. Uh, the image I like to use is the image of a dog chewing on a bone. Okay? Dogs meditate on the bone. Right? He takes it in and he turns it around. He molds it over. He chews it up. He buries it. He, he gets it back out. And he just, he takes it in. We, and we use that language when we think about ideas. I, I want to chew on that a little bit, right? I, I want to I, I digest that a little bit. It is a very careful turning over, a considering over a course of time so as to internalize what you're experiencing. Here's one, how one person describes reading God's word. I love this. As you read, this is meditation. Pause frequently to meditate on the meaning of what you're reading. Absorb the word into your system by dwelling on it, pondering it, going over it again and again in your mind, considering it from many different angles until it becomes a part of you. That's what we're supposed to do with God's Torah. And this is going to sound really strange, what I'm about to say, but I was, I was looking at this description and I realized, you know, this is what I did. I, this is what I did with movies when I was in high school and, and college. Okay, and bear with me for a second. Um, there's something unique about the, high, the, the young adult male, okay? It's a very unique species. But there's something about men and movies and quoting movies and memorizing mo movies that I just haven't seen in the female species in the same way. It's, it's, I don't know if it's just in America or if it's universal. But I remember watching, I'm thinking mainly comedies, okay, with my friends. These classic comedies like Fletch, you know, and Vacation, and Caddyshack, all these old school 70s, 80s comedies. And we would watch these, and, and, and we'd watch them again and again. And when we weren't watching them, we would talk about them all the time. And you'd get together, and you'd just quote movies. We could spend an hour quoting movies. And I realized what I, these things had become a part of me. They had been very internalized. I can still quote, large, embarrassingly large swaths of various movies to you. Right? I mean, you could just like, like a dog on cue. It's amazing. Uh, my brother and I, my parents can attest to this. Uh, we loved, well, I'll just, we loved a lot of movies. Um, but one of our things, our, one of our nightly liturgies was at the dinner table, the four of us would be together, and we would try to slip in as many movie quotes into the conversation as we could. <laughs> but in a way that flowed with the conversation so you wouldn't know it was a movie quote. So we're having this like two-layered conversation with each other and our parents are just, we're just, you know, doing life together. They have no idea what's going on. I think in my like mid-late 20s, my mom finally saw the movie Fletch. And she came and she said, I thought you guys were so funny. You're not funny at all. 
This is all just parroting someone else's stuff. But I, I literally read this description this week. I was like, that's what I did with movies. That's totally, I meditated on them. They're they part of my, my life. They're part of my conversation. They flowed out of me as naturally as anything. And I was thinking, what if the young adult male <laughs> meditated on the word of God like the young adult male meditates on movies? That it was this internalized part of our lives. It's, it's part of the stories we tell one another as we get together. It's this, this deep chewing on, this becoming part of. I know that was a long way of getting at that. But it was actually quite profound to me. Like, I know meditation well. <laughs> How can I apply that to this? To God's word, something's infinitely more valuable. I mean, Fletch is pretty valuable, but you know what I mean. <laughs> what about Bob? I could go on. That's so fun. <laughs> All right, so what is the relationship with God's word? One, there's a delight. And because of the delight, there's this meditation, there's this chewing on, there's this careful taking into our lives. Day and night, verse 2 says, this constant, this is not a casual reading, this is not a casual listening on a Sunday morning. No, this is, this is an integral part of, of my thoughts and my experiences on a day-to-day -day basis. All right, and then the second question, what, is, what are the results of this relation? What, what is the impact, if I can use the fruit of what God's word is to have when we take that kind of posture towards it. We get the answer to that in verse three. Well, in verse one, you get the fruit. In one word, it's being blessed. <laughs> blessed is the one. But verse three gives us this description of a tree. Let me read it. That person who delights and meditates is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So here's the picture. This is not a very good Middle Eastern uh, Israeli tree. Um, but there you have it. I want to focus on three descriptions of this. So your life will be like a tree. I love trees, so this, this metaphor works for me. Um, but three specific descriptions given of this tree. The first is, verse 3, that this tree is planted and you can't see the root system here, right? But you know that underneath the surface, there's this deep root system that is grounding this tree to the earth. It's rooted, it's anchored, it's stable. And the psalmist is saying, that's, that's how it is. When you keep company with the word of God, your life is grounded, right? You're not living in accord with the latest ideas or, or, or fads or fashions of a changing culture. No, but you, you are grounded in reality. You are grounded, as I said, in truth. Truth with a capital T. You're grounded in the promises of God, of the character of God, the unchangingness of God. We sang that song, uh, truths that will echo down through eternity. You're grounded in timeless reality. So that when the winds of, of the voices of culture blow, you're not blown off by them, but you are, you're, you're connected to something that you can count on, that is stable, that is real, that is permanent. And there's a centeredness, there's a constancy to our lives. The opposite of this is the image that the psalmist gives us in verse 4. Take a look at verse 4. Not so, well, what's going on over there? 
Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. So contrast this image, right, with this image. Chaff, you guys know what chaff is. You've got grains, wheat, barley, these kinds of grains. You have the seed, which is the, the stuff you want, and that's always surrounded by this thin, um, dry husk of something. That's, that's the chaff. And so as you winnow, as you thresh, you, you throw it up in the air, and the wind blows away the dry chaff, and you have the grain that you want uh, at the bottom. And chaff is this perfect image of, of rootlessness, <laughs> of groundlessness. And as I look at our culture today, a lot of where our culture is going, a lot of people that are living their lives, it, it is a good image of the groundlessness. We, have, we are in a culture that has intentionally cut itself off from various sources of truth, traditional sources of truth, other sources of truth. And, and individuals are saying, I don't want to be tied down to any authoritative picture. I, I want to be free to live the way I want. I want to be able to float here and there as I want. I want that kind of freedom. And of course, the promise is to, to cut yourself off from the source of truth. Is It feels like freedom for a bit, but it is to be at the mercy of your every emotion because you're now the authority, right? So your every emotion, your compulsive desires, and all the voices out there that are promising life and fulfillment, you're just moving back and forth with those things, and those things will never satisfy. And so you think there's freedom in that, but there is no freedom. Freedom comes from being rooted and stable in something that you can count on, on truth. So that's the first image. The tree is rooted. Now, the main image that, that the psalmist is working with is not that it's rooted, of course, but what it's rooted in. Uh, verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Did I put that up? Yeah. So this tree, of course, is planted by this river, and so it has this constant source of life, of refreshment that will allow the tree to grow and thrive and, and be sustained. And God's Torah is that for us. It is this life-giving source of refreshment that renews our spirits, that renews our minds. And I love that because, you know, the stable image, the rooted image, stable can become stagnant too, can't it? Stable can become entrenched and, and boring even, <laughs> But the, the river image carries with it this freshness, this newness, that there's, there's always a new, fresh experience. And that's what God's Torah provides for us. I was thinking this week of the verse in Lamentations where it said, God, your mercies are new every morning. Right? Every morning we wake up and there are new mercies of God waiting for us. And that, I think, is what our experience of God's Torah is to be. This new, fresh Daily experience. And for myself, I will just say that that is what God's word is for me. That when I come to his word in the morning, and when I really give myself over, and sometimes I just go through the motions, okay? And that, that can be a, not a very helpful thing. But when I really present myself, Lord, Lord, I want to hear from you. I want to submit myself to you. I come to that time in all sorts of various places. Sometimes I'm tired, sometimes I'm anxious, sometimes I'm apathetic, sometimes I'm discouraged, whatever it is. But so often, if I give myself over to it, I leave the experience I have as a feeling refreshed, having renewed courage sometimes, having renewed clarity, having renewed hope and joy. I want to go back to the psalm we read. 
Look at these descriptions. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. Our souls need to be revived. The precepts of the Lord are right. They give joy. When I'm discouraged, they can bring joy. Uh, the commands of God are radiant, giving light to my eyes, new clarity. Now, I recognize not all of us experience God's word this way all the time. None of us experience God's word this way all the time. But a consistent keeping company with God's word will be a life of refreshment. And here's what I'm learning. God's grace is not something we just need when we, when we become believers. Amen? It is something we need every day. We need to go to that waterfall of grace and mercy and truth every day. And God's word is the most obvious way we put that cup under that waterfall to be refreshed with who he is. It says, whose leaves do not wither, right? Because there's this constant source of life. And so as, as, the, as the winds, the dry winds of life blow, a person who is rooted by the stream of water in Torah, you see these people and they go through hard seasons of life. Okay? Some of you are in these seasons right now. They go through health crises, financial crises, occupational crises, right? relational crises. And yet through that, there's a realness to that. There's a vulnerability. But there's also this, there's still a vibrancy to their lives because they are connected with this life-giving source of refreshment and truth. Uh, not so with the chaff, of course. There's no connection to something that gives life, and so it is ultimately dry and lifeless. And then finally, the last description, I'll, I'll basically just mention, I won't spend much time. They're planted, they're planted by streams of water, and verse three, and this tree, this person, yields its fruit in season. What is the impact of keeping company with God's word? It is a fruitful life. I'll have to change trees here. It is a life of fruitfulness. And that's going to be true. When you're stable, when you're, when you're rooted in, in truth, and you're also getting, receiving refreshment, you're going to have a fruitful life. The psalmist doesn't tell us what this fruitful life is. Maybe he's thinking about the, the fruit of inner qualities, like the fruit of the Spirit. As you read God's Word, you, you grow in character of your love and your joy and your peace and your patience and your kindness. Certainly that happens as we keep company with Scripture. Maybe he's thinking more of an, the outward fruit, of a, a life of impact, of, of blessing to others. And that's certainly true also. As, as we constantly in his Word, how can we not but bless others with the truths and the joy that we've received from his Word? Whatever he means, it is certainly what every human being most desperately wants is a fruitful life, a life of meaning and purpose and character and quality. And the psalmist is saying, it's right here. Which yields its fruit. And this is the last thing I'll say about this passage. I like the little tag on here. Which yields its fruit, what does it say? In season, yes. And we all know trees, there's a season to the fruitfulness. We actually have an apple tree in our backyard right now, and it is, it is in full fruit. It is heavy with fruit. Um, not quite ripe, but it's getting there. But in the winter months, it's not. And we know that that's how life works, right? That, that there's times where we experience greater fruitfulness in our lives, and there's times where it doesn't feel as though we're experiencing that same fruit. There's a season to it. But this consistent keeping company with God's word through whatever season will yield its fruit.
Um, I said this once in a series uh, uh, years ago, and a friend of mine reminded me of this, and I thought, that's a good thing I said. I'm going to say it again. Um, to this, the seasonal nature of things, okay? It's, it's the long run. It's the, it's the long journey that b- bears this kind of fruitfulness. And, and what I said was, um, you know, a day, if you just took this one, in terms of one day, you may not see the results, right? But over a lifetime, you see the results. But like a, a morning in Scripture may not be a great morning, okay? Like, I, I had my quiet time today. I spent 20 minutes in the Bible, and honestly, it was kind of hit and miss. Like, if you look at it from a morning, some mornings are great, some mornings are not. But a morning in Scripture may not be a great morning. But a lifetime of Scripture will be a great life. It will be a great life. And, the, and, and that's true of other things. To go to the, the liturgy conversation last week, an evening of TV watching, can actually be a great evening, right? You can have an epic evening of TV watching. It's like, that was the funnest, best night. But a lifetime of TV watching is not the life worth living. And so there's a season to this, but it's, it's are we doing this? Is, are we in it for the long haul? That makes sense? All right, so I'll end with that. I just want to step back because we've just opened this conversation about God's word and just ask, isn't this the life we want? I mean, isn't this what we want, what's, what's being described here? And if so, the question that I ask myself and that we have to ask ourselves, if that's true, then why don't we go here more often? <laughs> like, if we kind of know that, why don't we go here more often? And I look around at people People are so desperate for answers right now, so desperate for hope and meaning and and going all over the place for answers. Even people in the church going so many different sources trying to get answers when the answer is right here. It is right here. Everything we need for this fruitful, flourishing life is here. But the issue is we've got to want it. We've got to want it, not just for today, but for life. We have to be willing to dive in deep. We have to be willing to commit ourselves to wrestling with this, to working it out, to chewing on it, day in and day out. And if we do that, the fruit will be there. It won't be a perfect life. It won't be a simple life. But it will be a fruitful, meaningful life with our Lord. So in the next couple of weeks, we'll talk real specifically. What does it mean to develop a rhythm, a habit? What, what specifically do we actually do when we sit down and read this book? But I want to leave you with a little bit of space to have a conversation with God about your own relationship uh, with his Torah, okay? So if you'd bow with me, I'm just going to kind of guide you and, and just give you, give you a minute or so to, to ask a couple questions, I, I, I want to invite you, really engage God. Talk to him right now. It, it, consider these things. So first, just, and this is, there's no right answers here with God. Just be honest with him. Come to him honestly in prayer. Just have a conversation. What is your experience in his word like? Be honest. How do you actually experience it? Where is your experience very much like this psalm, where you delight in it, you see fruitfulness in it? And maybe where is your experience actually very different from this psalm? We said, I, this, is, this is not how I experience your word. But just be honest about how you actually experience his word. Take a moment to do that.
And now, take a moment to have this conversation. If you were to consider a regular rhythm of being in God's word on your own, morning, night, whenever, but a regular rhythm of that, what are, what are the actual barriers? Assuming that isn't part of your life, maybe it is, but if it isn't, what are the, what are the main barriers keeping you from that? And talk to them. Just be honest. It, they might be just very practical. You're busy or you just don't have a system in place. You don't have a schedule in place. They may be much deeper than that. There may be, you just, you don't understand the word. You, you, uh, or you don't even think it is true. There's so many barriers. But what, what's, what are the main barriers for you? And just acknowledge them with God. And then finally, and again, there's no right answer, just be honest. What are your desires in relationship to God's word? What is your, what is your heart long for? You might not desire anything. Uh, you might have deep desires that have gone unfulfilled in your experience with God's word. But what are your desires regarding God's word? Why don't you just, just verbalize them in your heart to God? Father, would you inspire us and move in us to make your word a life-giving, delightful, encouraging, refreshing experience for us, for our souls, for our minds, for our lives. Apart from your spirit, your word will be lifeless to us. We need your spirit who breathed life into the word, to breathe life into our hearts and minds that we might see beautiful things in your word. So I pray over the coming weeks that you would do that. You would work a fresh work in our hearts. Give us a new hunger, a new thirst, and a new delight in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.